This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 490, A Conversation with Graham Nolan. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and this is episode 490. It's our conversation with Graham Nolan. Graham Nolan is uh, obviously celebrated as one of the co-creators of the Bane character. He had a very long run on Detective Comics back in the 90s, and uh, right now he's working on the Bane Conquest maxi-series for DC Comics with his uh, often... Uh, partner in crime, Chuck Dixon. Um, so before we get right into the episode, I want to thank some people who submitted questions uh, for the interview. I want to thank uh, SRCA1941 from the Marvel Masterworks Forum, as well as uh, Shagmu, DTTF, and uh, Elwin Munz, Munsey Jr. I believe that's right, and if I'm not, I apologize. Um, so thanks to everyone for submitting questions for the interview. It was a very fun conversation, uh, just chatting about um, his influences, um, you know, his career in comics, how he got into comics, etc. It was a very engaging interview, and uh, interesting to hear uh, some interesting stuff about kind of what it was like to work on Detective Comics and uh, the, the Bat books, and how easy it is to become pigeonholed into something. Um, when you get when people are used to doing something and they kind of forget that you're an artist and you can do other things, uh, so we'll jump right into that. But just uh, before we do, you can always email me at comicshenanigans at gmail dot com. Like the show on Facebook, read and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Our next episode, episode four ninety two, will be our spotlight on Spider Man Homecoming. Um, we're getting really close to episode five hundred now because I think uh, for uh, the one after that is going to be our spotlight on. Um, the War for Planet of the Apes, so we're getting really, really close to uh, to that magical episode 500. We will be taking a break right at the end of, I guess it's either the first week of August, I guess, um, just because the way it worked out, I was trying to synchronize the 500th episode with the 5th anniversary of the show, and it just meant, whoops, I made a mistake, there's a there's a skip week, so uh, the first week of uh, August, well, the show will actually be on a one-week hiatus, and then we'll come back with our exercised episode 500, which I'm very excited about. Anyways, thank you for joining us for Comic Shenanigans, and this is our conversation with Graham Nolan. Enjoy. So, Graham, welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. How are you doing this fine evening? Thank you for uh, inviting me over, Adam. Having a good night. Excellent, excellent. Uh, well, I want to kind of go back first, I guess, to your, your kind of your secret origin. What was it that first kind of introduced you to comics uh, when you were growing up, or was it even when you were growing up or later? Uh, the, my first experience probably was watching uh, the Batman TV show and the Adventures of Superman with George Reeves. Um, but then I came upon the actual printed comics uh, uh, in the sixth grade when a teacher brought in a stack of comics for the kids to read uh, during recess. That's a cool teacher. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I've told him that story many times since. You blamed him, basically. <laughs> <laughs> this or is... he takes credit, you know, at cocktail parties, so. Yeah, no, that's true. You can basically say that, you know, uh, Bane wouldn't exist if it wasn't for him. That's exactly right. <laughs> leverage it. Always leverage. <laughs> what, now, when did you, you know, first kind of realize that you had a talent to actually draw? Because, I mean, I would imagine fairly early, or was it something that you kind of studied, or how did that kind of coalesce? Well, I was drawing before comics. You know, I was into monsters uh, before I got into comics. I was reading the Monster Times and watching monster movies and building Aurora monster models and stuff like that. And I would, I would draw the monsters and pose the models and sketch them and stuff like that um and then you know that all changed when i got introduced to comics i mean i still love the monsters don't get me wrong um but you know when i first saw the superhero stuff you know the bright colors the dynamic action and all that kind of stuff it, it really spoke to me 
Mm-hmm. Who were your kind of your your gate your gateway characters in Gateway Comics? Uh, my gateway comics were um, Batman's. Uh, well, actually, Detective Comics, Action Comics, Batman, Superman, Amazing Spider-Man, and the Fantastic Four. Probably my, and then a few monster comics like uh, Werewolf by Night were in there too early on. Mm-hmm. And when did you kind of realize I, I could actually do this? You know, like it's it's one thing to kind of you know you're you're drawing when you're younger, but then what what kind of flips the switch that you're like, oh, I could actually draw actual comics? Well, uh, I think the arrogance of youth tells you you can actually do it because you don't realize how much hard work there is, so you're not scared <laughs> away by it. <laughs> but um, you know, I always felt I could do it. Uh, uh, you know, and then I went to the Cupid School, um, and you know, had it validated by you know getting accepted. So I figured, well, he must see something here. <laughs> uh, you know, so yeah. Now, what what was it like at that time being at the Cupid School? Like, what was what was the atmosphere? What was kind of who was in that kind of class of people that you were uh, learning with? Well, I had a, a, a bit of a circuitous route at the Cupid School because I started in. 80, uh, let's see, 81, 82 was my first year there. Uh, and my classmates were, were uh, Adam and Andy Kubert, uh, <laughs> uh, Eric Shanauer, okay. uh, um, um, Ed Fatunla, um, trying to remember, there was, there was other guys. It was a very well represented uh, uh, class. Uh, Ron Wagner. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, so it, it was a really, really good, strong class. Um, and then I couldn't afford to come back the next year, so I took a year off. Uh, I took our classes at the community college and work construction to save some money and stuff. Then I came back the year after that, uh, and my classmates were Bart Sears, uh, Lee Weeks, and. Uh, uh, Actually, you know what? I think Lee might have been in my first first class. Wow! It, it's all what was so long ago, but I think I think Lee might have been in that class also that first class. But Bart Sears, Mark Pennington, uh, Mark McNabb, um, and again other guys I can't remember right now off the top of my head. But <laughs> yes, another it was a, another well represented class. But uh, you know, some of those guys went on and graduated. I didn't. Um, uh, I couldn't afford again. I ran out of dough. Uh, I couldn't afford the the third and final year, but I was getting offers at that point. Um, in fact, uh, my first sale at DC Comics was through uh, uh, the uh, storytelling teacher uh, Sala Mendola uh, at Kubert's. Also happened to be the new talent coordinator at DC Comics, and he bought two assignments that I'd done for his class to run in New Talent Showcase. So that was my actual first professional sale. Oh, wow. That must have been kind of... That's actually pretty awesome that, you know, you're doing something for your class and then it actually ends up getting published. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have that comic framed? Yeah, I don't even have a copy of it, to be honest. <laughs> so someone needs to send that to you. <laughs> like, Yeah, I, I gotta find that. So it's New Talent Showcase... Uh, 14, I think. Yeah, online it says uh, 14 and I guess 16. Okay, yeah, yeah. Although by yeah. Six, 16, apparently they had dropped the new from the title and it was just Talent Showcase. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So 
I guess I was no longer new by 16. I guess not. Now, here's a question. Um, did you ever think about going back and finishing your, you know, your final year at the Kubert School? <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, because it, it, it was a, it's a, basically a trade school. Yeah. Uh, so you're not getting a, a, a bachelor's degree or anything like that, so. No. But at least then you could say, I graduated the Kubert School. You know, the best graduation is a, is a paying job. So <laughs> I've, I've had that for, you know, 33 years, so. So I want to ask about that. So you do the, the, the New Talent and Talent Showcase, and then... You work on, uh, the, I guess, with the Transformers UK. How did that kind of come about? No, it wasn't Transformers UK. It was Transformers Marvel. Oh, okay. So my apologies. But still, how did that kind of come about? Uh, I, I went up to Marvel. Uh, I met Mike Carlin. And uh, he uh, gave me a... Um, um, he gave me the assignment, but it wasn't scheduled. It was, uh, you know, uh, what do they call those things? Um Inventory story? Inventory story, yeah, yeah. They don't even do them anymore, but uh, yeah, it was done as an inventory story. And uh, I don't know, a month later, something jumped the rails and they had to put it in. Wow. Now, what was it like kind of working on that? Because, I mean, like, you, you already had sold other stories, but those are stories that you didn't necessarily intend to actually run somewhere. Well, this is different. This is actually, you know, a, a regular, not a regular gig, but this is an actual gig uh, that's meant to be published. What was, mm-hmm. how did that feel kind of illustrating that for the first time and also working on a property like Transformers? Well, it was daunting because I've always been an organic guy and didn't like drawing mechanical things. And here I am at Marvel. My first assignment is drawing robots. You know? <laughs> so it was it was a little uh, a little uh, daunting to say the least. But uh, you know, it was exciting too because here, oh, here I am working at Marvel. You know, uh, uh, so what? Everybody's got to start somewhere. So I figured, uh, you know, I'll do the best job I can with it. It'll you know, into other projects. Now, what led you over to Eclipse Comics at that time? Work. Yeah, uh, they had you know, they had work. Was, yeah, they had work. Uh, and that's where I met Chuck too. Well, I was going to say that's kind of like a, a, I guess, kind of a huge moment because you guys have collaborated on tons of stuff, um, and, and and kind of a lot of people think of you guys kind of together. So it's interesting to kind of see where that relationship kind of started. Yeah, it started in um, uh, Airboy. Chuck was writing uh, Airboy and the backup feature, uh, Skywolf. Um, and uh, I got contacted uh, by uh, the editor uh, to do a couple couple of three issues, three, maybe three issues of, of Skywolf. Um, and, uh, you know, Chuck and I really clicked on it. Uh, and uh, we met at, uh, actually physically met uh, at uh, one of the, I think it was the 1986 um, Chicago Con at the Rosemont. Nice. Now, um, what what was it about you guys that kind of that works so well and clicks? Because I mean, again, you guys have collaborated on a number of projects over the years. So, what is the collaborative collaborative process between the two of you like? Well, it's very much a give and take thing. You know, uh, each one of us throws ideas out. Sometimes, you know, I'll be the one to come up with the pitch uh, and. If Chuck likes it, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, 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 I want to do this, you know, and, and, and you know, we'll either co-write it or he'll write it. Or sometimes he'll come to me and, and just say, hey, I've got this idea, you know, and then even when it's 
it doesn't matter whose idea it is. We're both contributing to the storyline and and to concepts and ideas in it because we know each other so well. We we share the same type of um, uh, likes and dislikes in comics. You know, uh, the sensibilities of what we think make good comics. Um, and there's an honesty too, you know. So like, you know, he can say something. I can, I, I can, I can give an idea to him, and he'll say, "That eh, sucks. That's a, that's the worst idea I've ever heard." And I'm like, "Okay, I'll try something else," you know. <laughs> and vice versa, you know. Like he'll write a scene or something, and I'll say, "This doesn't work. I'm going to change this," you know. So uh, yeah, so it's it's just a you know it's a great collaborative uh, uh, teaming. Mm-hmm. I guess one of your kind of more uh, one of your first kind of longer runs in a book was Power of the Atom. Um, what was it like, kind of working on a book like that at that point with that character? Uh, that was probably my first regular gig with an established superhero because um, I had worked in Eclipse uh, uh, on the Prowler from the, from the beginning, but mm. that wasn't a pre-existing character. So gotcha. Uh, you know, working on the Atom was you know a comic and a character that I knew about. Um, so that, that yeah, that that was a little bit different, and uh, it was exciting. Again, I was working with Mike Carlin because Mike had moved over to DC by this point, and uh, um, I guess you know we, we got along well enough uh, working on the Transformers. You know that uh, you know he uh, asked me if I'd be interested in that assignment. Now that I guess you got to work with what Roger Stern and Tom Pyre on that book. What was the, what was it? I mean, what was their style like at that point with you? And because you're still kind of ex, you know exploring different avenues of your own art, so what's it like working the, with those writers at that time? Um. Well, Tom came in later on. Um, right near the end, and, I guess. Yeah, I, I can't remember much stylistic differences between him and Roger because uh, I think he you know, kind of studied under Roger. Um, I could be wrong on that, but uh, at least that's the way I remember it. Um, but, you know, Roger wrote in that kind of uh, Marvel uh, style, um, which which I really liked. Um, so it was, it was a lot of fun working. You know, he knew how to put fun in the, in the superhero comics. So mm. uh, I enjoyed working with him. No, not long after that, you got to actually uh, launch a, a mainstream superhero book in Hawkworld. Uh, no, that, again, that's a kind of an interesting style because I mean, I originally kind of came to know your work from Detective Comics, and so your Hawkworld stuff definitely felt different. But what about it kind of intrigued you and kind of allowed you to kind of do new things? Well, you know, the, the monthly series was coming off the Truman Alcatina uh, Prestige book series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that had a specific look to it. Uh, it was much more illustrative um, in, in the way it was rendered and stuff. And so, you know, I, I decided I wanted to try and capture some of that uh, in the ongoing series so it didn't look so totally different. But I wanted to bring my own more dynamic sensibilities to the drawings and the layouts. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess at this time you were also inking your own work, right? Yes. Now, what, 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 I guess, I mean, obviously it's, a, it's more work, but do you prefer to ink your own work or do you prefer that someone else inks after? And who's kind of your favorite inker? I prefer to ink my own work. Yeah. Yeah, Joe Kubert told me early on, you know, always insist on inking your own work. <laughs> it, it's, it's a pure, it's a, you know, you can, you can argue they're, they're better inkers, 
certainly than me. But I don't think there's a better anchor on me than me because you get 100% me out of, out of the illustrations. Uh, somebody else brings their own sensibilities to it, and it may create something different and great, you know, certainly. Uh, but it's just not as pure. And, and I like the purity uh, of, a, of, an art, of an artist that, uh, you know, pencils and inks his own work. Mm-hmm. Actually, we had a, a listener question, which was, uh, it kind of jumps ahead a little, but it was, uh, it seemed that you had a lot of different anchors on Detective Comics after Scott Hanna left, and he's mm-hmm. just kind of asked, you know, was there, what, what happened there, or why were there so many different anchors working on your work at that point, and also which of them was your favorite? Uh, it was because um, uh, Scott Peterson, the, the editor, wanted to uh, try different, different guys on me, uh, because the storytelling, the drawing was always really rock solid and he wanted to see what different guys looked up like on me um and i always prefer as i mentioned organic you know i draw organically mm-hmm. uh and i and i like an organic inker and you know as good as scott hannah's a great inker you know he, he can ink everybody but i just didn't think he was the perfect inker for me because he's he was much more linear and much more clean and slick than i prefer uh on my own work, I, I like the I like a more organic line. So uh, of the people that came after, you know, um, I loved uh, I loved Tom Palmer, I loved Klaus Janssen. Again, very organic guys. They're bold and strong anchors. You know, they overpower a little bit, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, I can learn a lot from them, and I did uh, approaching my own inks too. Um, Joe Rubenstein's an excellent inker as well. Okay. Um, no, I, I guess, so what, you were on Hawk World, I guess, almost, what, uh, two, just over two years. What led you to kind of leave that book? Uh, I just burning out on it. You know, Hawkman was never a favorite of mine. Um, I just, uh, he just didn't resonate with me. I mean, I love the Kubrick stuff, mm-hmm. um, and I can look at that all day. And, and Joe was really the only guy that can make that mask look like it was natural and looked cool you know otherwise it looks a little you know you know if you saw a guy in real life wearing a you know a hawk head on his face like that it looked a little weird but, <laughs> but joe joe sold it um so you know i was just looking for a change two years penciling and making a book is a long time it's a lot of work um and i you know i wanted to move on to other things what was your uh, collaboration with Ostrander like at that point? Like, were you having much input into this, into some of the story ideas? Or was it more of a full script that you'd receive? Uh, it was a full script. Yeah, it was a full script. I didn't have uh, really much input in the story at all on Hawkworld. It was pretty much John's show. So when you're kind of deciding Artistic, that... Artistically, I had a lot of freedom. My goal, mm-hmm. you know, was a micromanager, you know, so I could try new things uh, and different things. Uh, you know, and, and never feel uh, like, you know, he was over my shoulder. Now, when you're coming off of that, or, you're, you know, you've decided that I'm going to leave Hawkworld, how did Detective Comics come and come about? Was it Chuck kind of saying, come work with me, or? No, uh, uh, I had uh, I had gone in and, and met with Denny and showed him some samples, um, and then nothing came of it, and then, uh, uh, I had uh, I'd been working with uh, Mark Wade on uh, a Metamorpho series, and 
they, they, they there was a, um, a three issue fill in or something like that uh, that they needed somebody for, and I got a call from Scott Peterson asking me if I'd be interested, and it was on Detective Comics, which is my favorite. So I uh, originally was supposed to, uh, you know, I co-plotted, penciled, and was going to ink the Metamorpho series, but um, once the detective gig came up, I, I gave up the inks on Metamorpho so that I could take the detective gig. Hmm. And then, you know, obviously, I mean, famously, you and Chuck worked on Vengeance of Bane. Mm-hmm. And obviously, this is always, I guess, always going to be the character you're kind of linked to, for better mm-hmm. or for worse. Uh, although there's a lot worse things you could be tied to. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Bane is obviously. Of course, res- Carlos said, if you can be remembered for one thing, mm. that's good enough. <laughs> well, thankfully, like we have some really good portrayals. Uh, I mean, your original portrayal of, of Bane is fantastic. But what was it like, kind of conceiving that character and uh, bringing him to life and working with Chuck on it? Um, it was, you know, it's always great working with Chuck. Uh, and, you know, I, uh, they, there was a story conference because Bane was a story character, you know, that came about out of need, uh, for the Nightfall thing, uh, which was, you know, instituted by Denny. Um, now I wasn't there for those initial meetings, uh, when they first discussed the character, but Chuck came up with some ideas for him, you know, uh, sort of a mishmash of, uh, uh, the Man in the Iron Mask, The Count of Monte Cristo, and, and Evil Doc Savage. And um, when I got Chuck's notes uh, about who this character was, you know, I saw that he was going to be raised in this Central American or South American prison. And uh, I just figured if he, you know, we wanted to give him a costume of some type. So I figured the only thing that, you know, that would have inspired him, he wouldn't have had access to superhero stuff, but he, he probably would have seen the Mexican luchadors. Um, so that's the uh, design angle I took while creating Bane. Oh, yeah, also- I, I ripped off a little Steve Ditko too, because, uh, <laughs> you know, we had that, I, I designed that thing for his arm where he, he slaps a button and, and it sends the venom up into his head. Uh, and so I designed the belt, uh, the, the little rectangles on his belt are all venom packets, uh, and he's—we've never shown it. I, I don't think in any comics, but you know, the whole original idea was he was take one of those packets out off his belt and slap it into that little rectangle that's on his arm, oh. and then press and shoot the uh, venom up. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. Now, in the in that original uh, book, you also uh, introduced the the visuals for his his three lackeys, henchmen, whatever you want to call them. Um, what was it like? Kind of, what was it? Pardon me. The terrible trio. The terrible trio. Uh, how, how did you decide to kind of design these guys? Because they're very distinctive, and I, I really like that you guys brought them back in the uh, in the newest series. Uh, although with with some really interesting uh, modifications and updates to their looks. But how did you originally design them uh, way back then? It goes back to Doc Savage. Uh, 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 Trog is basically Monk from from Doc Savage. Uh, um, Zombie uh, was originally going to be based on Ham, Monk's nemesis. Uh, That's why Zombie always carried the the cane, which was a sword cane, with a skull on top. (laughs) Uh, And then Bird, you know, he was sort of an amalgam of of other things. You know, he had a name with a motif to it, so... You know, I had to go with that. Um, so th- those are my thought processes in, in originally designing them. Um, and then when Bane Conquest came around, 
there were aspects of design that I wasn't happy with when I look back on it 25 years later. Um, so I added some things to them. Um, uh, uh, Trog basically is the same. I just put some tribal tattoos on him to kind of modernize him a little bit. But other than that, uh, he looks exactly the same. Uh, zombie, I made him look more like a zombie and gave him a little backstory too, which will be explained in a future issue of, of Bane Conquest as to why his mouth is sewn shut and how he eats. <laughs> uh, and uh, and then Bird, you know, uh, I wanted to modernize him as, instead of a live bird, you know, a, more of a tech guy, uh, a tactical guy. Um, so we came up with the idea of the, um, of the, the drone. Yeah, I thought that was actually really inspired because that made complete sense for what that character is and what he is in the modern world. So I, when I read that, I was like, yeah, that makes complete sense. <laughs> yeah. You know, we wanted to give these guys more of a, of, of a launch pad too, because they're interesting characters and they kind of got short shifted in nightfall quickly. And then nobody else ever really returned to them. Um, as it turns out, I heard Tom King use them recently, um, unbeknownst to us, but you know, it was always our plan to bring them back. So I guess we should talk about Conquest because, I mean, we're kind of jumping forward, but how did Conquest kind of come to We've talked about with with Chuck a little, but how did you get involved in, in Conquest? Well, we pitched it. Uh, originally, it was, it was going to be a more Batman-centric thing, and Dan DiDio said, you know, he wanted something more Bane-centric, uh, and, you know, DC would like to see Bane as the uh, Doctor Doom of the DC universe. Hmm. So... You know, Chuck and I came up with some ideas, and we wrote up um, uh, a pitch, and they accepted it. Hmm. Now, so it's twelve issues, so obviously you know how long it's going to go, and you get a nice kind of uh, epic story that you guys are are putting together—a crime epic, I think uh, Chuck called it. Um, yeah. Issue two, I, I, this is a little bit of spoilers, I guess, but not too much. Uh, you get to actually have a bit of Batman without it visually looking like Batman. Um, how did you guys decide to kind of bring him in relatively early? Uh, you know, I think Chuck would be better to answer that one uh, as far as the pacing as to when he decided to bring Batman in. Uh, I'm not sure. Did you, I mean, did you, were you wanting to illustrate Batman again in the costume? And again, maybe we'll see that in future issues. But so far we're seeing just kind of a plain, plain clothes Bruce uh, working with Bane in, in a prison. Um, was that, you know, how did you kind of approach that visually to make sure that it's still, it's still Bruce, it's still Batman without using the costume? Well, you know, I think uh, I drew a distinctive Bruce Wayne. Uh, and so, you know, fans that saw it knew it immediately that it was Bruce Wayne. Um, and uh, it's not a spoiler to say, you know, Batman will be in costume next issue because he's on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Batman will be in, in full Bat regalia uh, in issue three. Now, in terms of, of Bane's design, so obviously Bane's gone through a lot of kind of slight visual tweaks over the years. Uh, when you start kind of sat down to illustrate him for this book, uh, how much did you did you kind of want to take from more modern versions, and how much did you want to issue to the original version that you would put together? Uh, I didn't, you know, I, the only aspect that uh, that I added to Bane that would necessarily be a modern version of him. Uh, is the uh, uh, 
uh, camo pants <laughs> and, 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 and knee pads. Uh, other than that, all the design aspects were things that I wanted to tweak uh, uh, out of the gate. Uh, for example, uh, his uh, Venom delivery device, you know, the, the, the kind of strap-on thing that he had uh, and the wires used to go up to that thing that was at the base of his skull. Mm. It always bothered me that that, that metal piece that would sit at the base of his skull, you know, would never be able to move because of his head. You know, I mean, it would have to move rather because of his head. And it would, it it just, from a realistic standpoint, it bothered me. Um, uh, Also, uh, so, so what I decided to do was create this like gauntlet type thing with a ratchet system set up so that also visually it's really cool because like when he wants to juice up and you'll see it in a future issue. He, you know, he, he, he puts his right hand on his on, on that left wrist thing, and just then you, you, there's little dashes and an arrow on it too, and he just cranks it so into a, like a ratchet sound, like tick 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 tick, hmm. depending on how much venom he wants, so he can just you know just jam it up or not, and so he can control the venom better that way. Hmm. Uh, and then uh, I put the um, the shoulder harness on him uh, to give him more protection. Uh, so that bullets would bounce off it, uh, and also it would it, it became something that I could put the wires into that would be stable. Okay, actually, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and uh, then the mask actually, you know, the mask is really my original design. Uh, you know, people are saying, "Oh, it looks like the animated version." No, the animated version looked like my original design. <laughs> Because I had the nose and mouth exposed, I also had his eyes exposed, um, and then you know, editorial decided, you know, let's make it more mysterious, you know, and they colored in the red on the eyes, and then covered up, you know, the nose and mouth features. Um, but I always wanted, if you've ever worn a mask like that, you know, I've got a Bane mask actually in my uh, studio here that a Mexican fan had given me. So it's made by the same guys who make the wrestling Mexican wrestling mask. Oh wow! I mean, five minutes, five minutes in that thing, and you're dying because you know uh, it's you know you're breathing the, the moisture and everything. So I always figured that's why the real wrestlers, you know, have their nose and mouth open so they can breathe. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and plus, from an artistic standpoint, um, it, it, it it's really cool to be able to show him emoting. Uh, there's some great scenes coming up in, in books where his teeth are gritted or he's screaming or, you know, he's really got, you know, some great visuals because we can see, you know, uh, you can see his mouth. Mm-hmm. Now, I had a, a listener question, which is, uh, if DC made a Nightfall animated movie, who would you prefer to voice Bane? Uh, tough one. Yeah, I mean... Uh, I, I'd like a Latino actor. Um, you know, I, I thought that Henry Silva did a great Bane. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he's Latino. He might be Italian, but I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, Danny Trejo did did his voice in one of the cartoons too, which was really cool. Yeah, uh, he had a kind of a grizzled, grizzled voice, which I liked. Um. So, I mean, it doesn't matter to me. I mean, as long as the actor can convey uh, Bane's Latino accent and voice, uh, that, that's all I would care about. 
Um, no, obviously, you know, you're, you're the creator of Bane, but are there any particular visual versions of Bane that you've seen over the years that you've actually kind of enjoyed, uh, where they've kind of taken the character visually? Uh, the original animated series, again, because it went back to more of the wrestling design, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Um, there's been some, you know, some of the Banes are just so darn big, he looks like the Hulk. Uh, and, 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 and I don't like that, you know, I don't like, like, uh, I don't, I don't play computer games, but, uh, what's that, what's that one that had Bane in it? It was really big. Uh, the Arkham games? Yeah, I think that's it, Arkham Asylum. Yeah, he uh, was pretty big. Yeah, yeah, the ones I'd seen, you know, he's just like Hulk, you know? I mean, Bane's a big guy. He's like the biggest bodybuilder you ever meet. Maybe six foot five, you know, three hundred and fifty pounds, something like that. But it's still human, mm. you know. Well, and definitely like your original portrayal, especially in the Vengeance of Bane, like he he wasn't huge. He was just extremely well built and a good counterpoint to Batman, and that was kind of the point. Yeah, I mean, he's bigger than Batman. You know, I mean, he's taller than Batman and has more muscle on him than Batman. But he's still a human being. You could see a man that looked like Bane, or, or pretty close to it. You know, at uh, you know, it was one of those strongman competitions, or uh, you know, strongest man in the world competitions, or, or even a bodybuilding uh, competition. Mm-hmm. Are there any um, particular uh, challenges in illustrating Bane that you're kind of like, oh man, this one thing really is a little bit harder, or is he pretty easy to, for you to draw? He's pretty easy for me to draw. Uh, I made things a little bit more difficult with that metal collar on his neck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it's a cool addition. So, you know, it's like, uh, you got to weigh it, you know, and, and if it looks cool visually, then then it's right. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this was a question from a listener, which was, uh, if Bane Conquest opened the door at DC for kind of a return to a monthly series, is there any book that you'd want to do? There's a lot of books I'd like to do. Uh, I'd like to do a Superman book. Uh, I'd like to do uh, 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 Captain Marvel. Uh, I'd like to do Batman. Yeah. Not Detective, but Batman. <laughs> uh, let's see what else. Uh, oh, I'd love to do a Green Arrow. Uh, not Green Arrow. Green Lantern arc. Well, that'd be interesting. Yeah, I, I've done some Green. I did a Green Lantern annual uh when kyle rayner was green lantern and uh I created that character uh, raker corrigan it was like one of the ori- the original green lantern mm-hmm. or the first green lantern uh and i like that character i'd like to re- i'd like to revisit him to, to jump back you were i mean you were involved with the detective comics for you know quite a number of years and definitely during some some big kind of crossover moments that happened throughout that period which now we're starting to see a lot of it kind of being reprinted uh so people get to actually see your work again um what was it like kind of being part of that that stable of of artists who are working on these books where they're part of these larger crossovers that keep happening obviously nightfall was kind of the big one to kind of start this off but then it kept going throughout the 90s Cataclysm and uh, uh, I can't even remember them all. You know, it was uh, like Contagion, Legacy, like all, yeah, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Prodigal, yep. uh, Zero Flower, all that kind of stuff. Um, what was the question? I'm sorry. 
Well, just what was it like to kind of be the, one of like, one of the you know stable artists working on uh, you know the series while all this is going on? I mean, I mean, for, oh, the writers have to kind of do some gymnastics with their stories so that they're kind of coordinating with everyone else. And then, sure. what what was it like artistically to be part of that process? Well, Chuck and I were always the the, the guys that were always sort of in the lead because we were quick, uh, so we didn't fall behind on deadlines. So a lot of times. If, let's say, something started in Shadow of the Bat, you know, uh, and it introduces this new character, you know, uh, Jack Jones, whatever, uh, and the artist hasn't drawn it yet, and I'll have, I would draw the character for that artist and then send it to him and start my arc and then let him do it. So, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, we kind of, um, you know, uh, laid the visual groundwork uh, for, for a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Now you, I guess your last issue of Detective Comics, I believe, was the last chapter or one of the last chapter in Detective Comics, at least, uh, of Cataclysm. What was what led you to leave the book? Uh, the, a lot of stuff was changing at DC at that time. Editors were leaving. Uh, the business was starting to implode. Um, and uh, I had been doing some other things. Um, Trying to remember what year that was. Was that like ninety eight? Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I guess early in uh, nineteen ninety eight. Nineteen ninety eight. Yeah. So I was uh, working on a self published project, uh, uh, Monster Island, which I uh, wrote, published, illustrated, did the whole nine yards on. Um, I wanted to do that. Um, Chuck and I also did a Superman book called Superman: The Odyssey mm-hmm. uh, around that time. So. Uh, the writing was sort of on the wall and we were, uh, we were looking, uh, at least I was looking for something different. So, I mean, I left before I got fired, but <laughs> I mean, it, it was, it was just a matter of time because, you know, things were changing so much up there and I had a, a long run and, and I knew that new editors were coming in and, and, you know, I figured I better get out of Dodge while the getting was good. <laughs> Now, one of the last projects, right around this period, you also did Bane of the Demon with Chuck. Um, what was it kind of like to pitch that book and then to work on it, bringing together Bane with another major nemesis of Batman, um, Russell Ghoul? That was a fun book. Uh, you know, Chuck and I have a, a vision for Bane. You know, we've had this long kind of story arc idea of who he, who he is and where he's going and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, Every time we get to work together on it, we kind of add to that tapestry. Um, uh, and, 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 and Bane of the Demon was one of those books, too, that uh, we wanted to really showcase um, Bane as a really smart guy, not just a thug, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, somebody who could go toe-to-toe with Rachel Ghoul, uh, not just physically, but, but mentally. But Bane has his faults too. You know, he's he's more of a two-dimensional thinker. Uh, Raish has the uh, advantage of time on his side and experience, uh, and that's what you know uh, did Bane in, in in his encounter with Raish. Mm-hmm. Now, so so you leave the book and you start taking on other projects. I've always been curious what led you to Web Spinner's Tales of Spider-Man. Uh, a meeting with the editor who had work <laughs> for, for an artist that needed work. Because <laughs> um, I mean, that's actually being reprinted. I think this month, um, 
you know, in they're taking that entire Web Spinner's book and actually reprinting it. And a lot of that I stuff... I, I just got a copy of it. Yeah, a lot of people have never read that stuff. And, uh, I mean, that was a very interesting kind of story because, uh, obviously, it was kind of meant to capitalize, or maybe not capitalize is the wrong word, but Spider-Man Unlimited, the, uh, you know, kind of short-lived TV series had launched around that period. So you kind of right. get to illustrate that costume. Uh, it's kind of a, a weird story, too. But your art's great. Um, but it's just so. Had you always wanted to do Spider Man as well? Well, Spider Man uh, was the answer to one of your questions earlier yeah. about you know one of those gateway books. Amazing Spider Man was uh, was the bomb for me. I love that book. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, and Johnny Romita was one of my uh, major influences. Uh, early, one of my early influences. So mm. yeah, I mean. I, I love Spider-Man um, and, you know, really wanted to do something. It's interesting, too, just it's such a tonal shift because you spent years on very kind of grounded stuff with Detective Comics, especially in, like, the last few issues you do. You're dealing with earthquakes and, like, very real things that happen in the real world. And a right. lot, and then suddenly you're doing a story that's in the negative zone with Blastar and Carnage and Spider-Man in this crazy outfit. It's a complete mm-hmm. 180. Yeah. You know, but... You know, that's the funny thing about this business is that people buttonhole you as a certain thing. True. You know, um, that, okay, yeah, this guy draws Batman. Okay, so he could draw Daredevil and maybe <laughs> Captain America, but there's no way he could do the Fantastic Four or, or, or uh, you know, uh, uh, Four or any kind of cosmic thing like mm. that. <laughs> and, which is, to me, is just complete nonsense because those are books I loved and, you know, getting a chance... To, you know, to make shit up is is fun. You know, uh, drawing the negative zone. I mean, come on, that, that's a ball. You know, for drawing sure. any kind of Ditko world, that's fun stuff. You know. And then, so and so, you, you kind of, I guess, eased out and kind of left the comic book industry for the most part. I mean, like, so wh- where have you been? Like, because as someone who followed you during the '90s when I was kind of reading Detective Comics, then it felt like, where did Graham Nolan go? He went into uh, syndicated strips. Now, what is um, what is it like working on those? Uh, when you wor- when you're working on pre-existing strips, um, which is what I'll talk about because that's what I worked on. Uh, I worked on Rex Morgan, MD, which is a medical soap opera strip that's been around since 1948. Uh, I did that for 13 years. And then also the Sunday Phantom Strip, which is, mm-hmm. you know, more of a traditional comic book style uh, type thing. Um, it's hard work. There's no end to it. It's, it's, the difference is, is like uh, uh, comic books is like um, a sprint and comic strips is a marathon. Mm. A marathon that never ends. You know, you, you finish <laughs> an issue of a comic, comic book. You know, okay, all right, I get to take the weekend off. I'm going to, you know, clean up the studio, get get all my reference books put away, start looking for the stuff for the next issue, and start again. You know, a daily commerce strip is every day, seven days a week, you know. Uh, so, it, and when you don't write it and uh, or own it, you know, it, it becomes a, a bit of a chore. Hmm. Now, how did your kind of comic strip career even come about? Uh, after I published Monster Island, because um, originally I was thinking of it as an adventure strip because it was uh, a straight-up homage to Roy Crane's Buzz Sawyer. 
which is Roy Crane is one of my all-time favorite cartoons. Uh, so Monster Island was a combination of Roy Crane and Jack Kirby's monster Marvel Monster Comics, uh, with a few other little things thrown in there as well. Uh, but I didn't have any contacts in the comic strip world, so I decided to do it as a comic book. Once I published it as a comic book, I decided, what the hell, I'll give it a shot. So I reformatted a couple weeks' worth of strips and sent them out to all the um, all the syndicates. And uh, they universally loved it, you know, but they also universally said that we can't sell a continuity strip anymore. Mm-hmm. And the last successful one that was sold was Spider-Man. That was 1977. <laughs> so, and, and that was, you know, derivative. It, it already had a built-in audience. So, you know... Um, it was unfortunate, but the guy at King Features, uh, Jay Kennedy, said, we have a we have an existing strip that we're looking to make a change on. Would you be interested in it? I said, what is it? He says, it's Rex Morgan, MD. Well, Rex Morgan was in my in the Buffalo paper, and I, I'd seen it, and it, it, it quite honestly sucked. It, it, looked, it looked terrible. It was just awful. Animal. So I, I'm, asking, I'm asking myself... Why is this thing still around? I mean, what is it about this strip that is, has made it stay in the paper for all these years? So I, I asked him to send me copies of the strip in its heyday. And so he sent me, you know, photocopies of the strip from the 50s and 60s. And it was a gorgeous strip. It was a great strip. And that really got my juices going and, and, and with the challenge of how can I return this in today's world you know, in today's newspapers, back to what it was. So I looked at it as a challenge to try and, and, and do, and that's why I took it on. And how long did you illustrate it? 13 years, I think. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. Now, I actually did have one uh, one listener did ask, when will you return to Rex Morgan, MD? Uh, never. <laughs> <laughs> You're done with Rex? I'm done with Rex. There's another artist on it, and, uh, you know... In newspaper strips there's very little turnover so you know once you're out the door that's it mm. um, and another listener wanted to know uh, if you prefer you know one medium over the other whether it be working on a daily strip or working on comic books well uh, it depends it depends uh, I, I love the real estate that you have to work in in comic books which you don't have in the comic strips mm-hmm uh, but I have a I have a humor strip that I run uh, once a week called Sunshine State, which is uh, on the Go Comics site. It's syndicated digitally, um, so I have to come up with strips. Uh, There's Sunday strips, Sunday style strips uh, that I have to do every week, and that is one of the most fun jobs of my life because I created it, I own it, it's mine. The characters are um, amalgams of personality traits of my own and people that I know um, so it's, it's a very personal thing so I like I like comic strips from that angle mm-hmm. but uh, you know I, I do prefer the real estate that you can work in in a comic book I guess you come to appreciate it a lot more too especially when after working in that medium for so long that when you go kind of go back to long form comic book storytelling that as you said you have much more real estate you're able to do a lot much a lot more because you're not as restricted mm-hmm. yeah your storytelling options are, are, are greater because you know uh, even when you have a little bit more room like in a Sunday strip 
there is a certain format that you have to do it in because not every paper prints it the same way. Mm. So there's an entire top tier, which is called the drop-off tier. You can't have any plot development in the top tier because some papers won't carry it. Uh, you may illustrate it horizontally, but some papers run it vertically, so you have to have certain breaks at certain spots uh, on the page so that the panels are, are cut, they can reformat it. Uh, so when you're thinking of it in those kind of terms, it, it, it takes the artistic freedom of, of doing something really interesting. Um, you know, sometimes you want a big vertical panel to, let's say, show an extreme height. You know, you, you just can't do that in a strip. Hmm. Wow, I never. I, that makes complete sense. I never really thought about it that way, but that's really interesting. <laughs> Um, just from a, uh, a few more uh, listener questions before we uh, sign off for the evening, um, we want to know what were your, who were your artistic influences. Now you talked about some of them, but uh, can you name some others? Yeah, I mean it, it's always changing, you know, when you discover new things and, and new new artists. Uh, but you know, my my initial guys were uh, uh, Ramita, Usema, uh, Kirby. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from there, you know, I went into Joe Kubert, Will Eisner, um, Roy Crane, uh, E.C. Seagar, um, Frank Robbins, um, Milton Kniff. Did I say Kniff? I don't think I did. I don't think so. Uh, Kniff. Um, uh, Wally Wood, you know, although... Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, it's, hard, it's hard to separate sometimes because there's artists you love, but they're not necessarily influential on you, mm-hmm. you know? True. So I think that's I think that's all of them, you know, pretty much all the ones that I can think of. Okay. Uh, I, I guess well, we can move on to the next question, which is, uh, who, if any, is a current artist you enjoy? Oh, gosh, that's a tough question because I, I don't... I'm not very up on, on who's doing what these days. Okay. Uh, so that's not a really. Um, I don't. I can't really give an answer to that. Okay, that's all right. Um, if you could draw a book for any writer, past or present, besides Chuck, who would it be? Uh, I would want to draw an Amazing Spider-Man with uh, Jerry Conway. Okay. Very cool. Uh, what uh, what characters would you most like to draw that you haven't yet, or are there any that you would really like to revisit? Uh, yes. Um, if, at DC, uh, I would like to do, uh, as I said, Superman, Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Green Lantern, and Aquaman. At Marvel, uh, I want to do the Fantastic Four. Uh, I want to have a run on the Fantastic Four with Chuck and I. Uh, and then when we're done with that run, we want to do Captain America. Ooh, that'd be interesting. Um, actually, um, with regards to that, so I just want to say, so not Hawkman? Uh, it wouldn't be on the top of my list, but uh, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, you know, I, I thought about Hawk, Hawkman a lot recently because I just did a panel with my goal at a convention in Syracuse and um, it would be interesting to kind of revisit him mm-hmm. um, what's the single piece of art you're most proud of that I 
Yeah. Uh, it's a tough one. Yeah. The next one. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer. Yeah. What can you what can you uh, tease us uh, that we're going to get to see in upcoming issues of Bane Conquest from a visual perspective? Uh, from a visual perspective? Yeah. Uh, a lot of... Uh, uh, a lot of kick-ass action, a lot of uh, um, dynamic storytelling, um, some really great guest stars, um, and you know like, this isn't artistic, but uh, you know a lot of twists and turns uh, that is going to leave Bane in a really really cool place when it's all said and done. When you and uh, and Chuck kind of formulated and, and pitched uh, this book, um, you, you guys are pretty like you're. You guys already kind of had an endpoint in mind, or or did you kind of discover that as you guys have kind of gone back and forth with each other? No, we had an endpoint. In fact, uh, uh, um, we 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 knew where it was going. We knew where it was going to end because uh, I got to phrase this without giving anything away. Um, you know, Bane gets himself into a position which was the end game. Okay. And did you guys actually pitch it as twelve issues, or is that something that was kind of given afterwards, or like after you guys kind of developed the pitch and, and pitched it to DC? We pitched it as twenty-four issues. <laughs> <laughs> Ambitious. You know, hey, shoot for yeah, shoot for the stars. You know, we figure out if if, if we can get if. If DC's going to hire us, we might as well try and get hired on for a long period of time. So let's try it for two years. Well, it's and, interesting because uh, if you guys had pitched it as 12, maybe they would have talked you down to six. Maybe. <laughs> That's really funny. Uh, any any last things you, you want to uh, share with the listeners uh, where they can uh, find you online? Uh, I have a couple websites, uh, com. Okay. Uh, sunshinestatecomics.com for my humor strip uh, and, and then gocomics.com is where uh, is another place where you can read Sunshine State Excellent, well Graham thank you so much for, uh, for joining us, we're, uh, we're hoping to have Chuck on when the, the book ends so hopefully we can actually have you both on the, on the show together to talk about uh, Bane Conquest once it's all done and we can actually kind of go through uh, everything that you guys put together Cool. Now, wasn't he on already? He was. Oh, okay, okay, but you're thinking of having us both on at the end? Yeah. After it's over? Yeah. Oh, okay, that's cool. Because when I was chatting with him, I'm like, well, I should have you on, you know, in the future to talk about it some more. And he's like, well, why don't we just do it when Conquest ends? I'm like, that makes sense. Uh, so yeah. it makes sense to have uh, both of you back on together. So uh, after issue 12 drops, hopefully we can uh, schedule something with uh, the three of us and kind of do a, a Bane Conquest postmortem. That would be cool. Maybe we'll have something new to announce, too. Well, hopefully it'll be a 24-issue series, right? <laughs> I'll take 12. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you so much, Graham, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk, I guess, when uh, Conquest is over. Sounds good. All right, thanks, thanks so again. much.